Good morning. Our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 1 through 31. Again, Acts 28, 1 through 31. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no more misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place, where lands belonged to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, day we came to Puteoli, and there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everyone, everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him in his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. 
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Holy Trinity Church. I'm Sully. And uh, as everyone has said, it's uh, quite an accomplishment that you made your way here this morning. Uh, let me say a special welcome to everyone who joined us at the Vision Bus uh, this past weekend. It was a, a great weekend. Uh, for those who are, are newish to the church, we, we had a weekend getaway, building some relationships. If you weren't able to join us this, this past weekend, we hope you'll join us maybe for the next Vision Bus, possibly in January or February. If you see me limping around this morning, it's because Owen uh, steamrolled me on the soccer field yesterday. Um, but we had, a, we had a great time, and uh, glad, glad to be able to see a lot of your faces here this morning. Well, today we, are, uh, we have arrived at the conclusion of our sermon series in the book of Acts. Uh, we have been through quite a bit since starting in this sermon series back in September of 2020, who would have known that when we started this sermon series that we would have had seven more months of online worship services. Uh, we went through some transitions from uh, starting live in-person services uh, on Easter this last year. Uh, we then uh, began to, we wore masks at the beginning, then we stopped wearing masks for a little bit, but now we're back wearing masks. We've gone from the Hotel Sofitel to the Swiss Hotel. Uh, there's just been transition after transition, and I've been so thankful uh, for our sermon series in the book of Acts. Uh, the reason for that is that this book, uh, Acts, has given us the gift of, of just this clarity of a picture of the church, this beautiful description of, of what the church is supposed to look like and what it is we're supposed to do. It's come at such a great time, a time when the pandemic has caused us to really ask the question, where are we to find stability in this world? And we find it uh, that the church is this, this stable place that will persist even through pandemics, even it will, uh, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We then uh, have been asking questions during this season about uh, how do we find unity in such a divided world? And the book of Acts has told us the church, man, the church is going to be this body of people who have been knit together by the Holy Spirit who don't all look alike, don't all sound alike, don't all vote alike. It's the church that's brought together this beautiful diversity of God's people. And this has been a season where we're all looking for hope. And the book of Acts has given us a picture of a church that says that it's going to be a proclaimer. It's going to be made up of people who herald the hope of the gospel. This has been an incredible sermon series, and I'm so thankful for it. It's given us, I think, a picture of the church that is uh, one that is encouraging, but it's also a bit inspiring. <laughs> we aspire to be like the church in Acts. The question that I kind of want us to ask today as we come to the conclusion of our time is, uh, how are we to be this church? How are we going to be the church that is described in the book of Acts? My big idea today, or the, the idea of the text, is, is pretty simple. It's that God's people can do God's work only when we have the uh, Spirit of God. Let me say it again. God's people can do God's work only when we have the Spirit of God. There's an uh, evangelist, a pastor, who has written a book recently, or it was a, I think it was published a few years ago by Francis Chan, Forgotten God. And the premise of the book is that the church, particularly in the West, has, well, we've neglected the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He wrote the book because he argues that the church in the West, the light of the church in the West is beginning to flicker, and what is needed now is a a reinvestment, a, a renewed sense of, of the power that we have from the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Trinity Church, I believe that, yes, we need a re renewed sense of, 
of our uh, confidence in the stability of the church. We need a renewed uh, sense of unity in the church, a renewed sense of purpose, but I hope that as we conclude our time in the book of Acts, we have a renewed sense of the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us. So before I get too much further, I want to ask the Lord for his help. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Holy God, there is much that we need and much that we ask of you. But Lord, we ask today for your spirit to fill this church. Lord, may your spirit today teach us what is true and what is right. May we leave today with an astonishment at the gift of the spirit. Father, Lord, we ask that you would allow the truths that we have learned in the book of Acts to sink deep into our minds and our hearts. Etch them upon us, never to be forgotten. Father, I pray that we will not be the same church having come through this sermon series. And so, Father, I pray now that you would, you would glorify and magnify your son. May it be him that we, we cherish and we treasure above all else. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there's been a lot of events that we've kind of gone through together. There's some events that have taken place over the last year that we've been in the, the book of Acts. And one of them has been a funding, the Olympics that took place in Tokyo this past summer. Hopefully you caught some of that. It was a bit of a distraction from all that was going on at the time. One of the things that I find interesting about the Olympics is that every two years or every four years, we find ourselves being gripped by stories of athletes that who have names that we've never heard of before. We end up watching them and seeing them perform on the, the biggest stage in their competition and who, whatever the uh, broadcasters weave together these stories that tell us about them. The, we begin to hear how they have dedicated their whole life to their sport, how whole families and or schools and communities have come alongside of them to get them to where they are. And being now on this biggest stage, the Olympics, the interviewers often ask them, how did you get here? How, what did it take for you to be the athlete that got to represent your country? And that question, how, how did we get here? How did, how did you get here is a question I kind of want us to ask today. Paul has arrived at his final destination. He has arrived in Rome. The, really the last number of chapters, uh, the story of Paul's journey to Rome, it takes up a lot of, a lot of real estate in the book of Acts. And we've been following him through being arrested, being a falsely accused of things. We've followed him as he's been, yeah, shipwrecked and, and hurt. Uh, and we finally get to see him arrive in Rome. Really, if we zoom out a little bit further in the book of Acts, we've been on a journey to Rome, really the entire course of the book of Acts. You might remember that at the beginning of Acts, Luke, the author, tells us that the, witness, that the church is going to be God's witnesses to the end of the earth. And so here it is, Paul is arriving in Rome. Uh, when Jesus tells his disciples, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, it really is from there that the whole story of Acts flows. Paul arriving in Rome actually gives us the space to ask the question that athletes in the Olympics are often asked, how did you get there? How did you get here? Acts 28 is one of those moments as we conclude that we can begin to reflect back on how did the church go from this ragtag group of disciples and apostles to, to being this worldwide unstoppable movement? Luke, the author, he didn't want the answer to that question to, to surprise us once we got to Acts 28. No, he's made it clear throughout every chapter of the book of Acts that, that the church would accomplish the work of God only when it had the spirit of God. If you have your Bibles, look back actually at Acts chapter 1. 
here from the beginning, as I just mentioned, that Jesus commissioning his disciples, telling them, you're going to be my witnesses all over the world. I want you to see exactly what he says to them. This is Acts 1.8. It reads, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit came at Pentecost and, man, the church has it's been this unstoppable force in the world ever since. The same Spirit that, that ignited the church is the same Spirit that is poured out to us. The same Spirit that was with Paul is with us. The same Spirit that started the church will sustain the church. So, Holy Trinity Church, as we come to the close of the book of Acts, I I want us to have a renewed sense of the power of the Holy Spirit among us. A reminder that the people of God can only do the work of God when we have the Spirit of God. So I want to give you three reminders here of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Look back at chapter 28, uh, where uh, we just had read a few moments ago. The chapter opens up with Paul stranded on an island, shipwrecked. The scene is, is a pretty bleak one. He, it's raining and they're cold and probably a bit hungry and confused. And yet they come across the natives of the island, an island that they came to know as Malta. And these people begin to show them incredible hospitality. They begin to build a fire for them to warm them up, those who were shipwrecked. And Paul, he begins to go looking for some sticks, some twigs and logs that he can also throw on the fire to warm up around. He grabs one of them, and as he begins to throw it on the fire, a viper comes out and and bites him on the hand. It's interesting that Luke, he doesn't really record to us Paul's, you know, response. I I would be embarrassed probably by the response I would have if a snake bit me. But no, what we're given is a description of how the people around Paul responded. Uh, We're told that the, the native people of Malta, well, they looked at Paul and they said, well, this guy, he must be bad news. He must have, it must have been the case that he should have died on that shipwreck. And now the, the deity, the, the God of justice, well, he's come back to, to, to kill Paul now. Well, Paul gets rid of the snake and they all expect him to swell up and fall over dead. But that doesn't happen. And we're told pretty quickly that the people go from thinking that he's a, a wicked, evil man to thinking he's a God. This isn't the first time in Acts that Paul is, is mistaken as uh, a, a wicked criminal to being a god. And thankfully, in this circumstance, Paul is, is shown hospitality and kindness. Paul is welcomed by one of the chiefs of the island. He's shown some hospitality there. And while he's there, Paul finds out that the chief's father was ill. And so he reaches out, places his hand on the father of the chief and heals him. This scene, this whole uh, experience of Paul being on the island of Malta, well, it probably felt like a massive detour for Paul. This wasn't where he was intended to go. He was on his way to Rome. And yet, this detour turned out to be an opportunity to show compassion and to bless the people that were before him. I know that on our way to where we're going, it can be easy to, be, to look, overlook the people around us. But on our way to where we're going, we can't overlook the very people that God has placed near us. There's a a great little line from Tish Harrison Warren's book called Liturgy of the Ordinary where she says that everyone wants a revolution but nobody wants to do the dishes. And it's the idea that we all want the big and exciting things in life. We want the revolution, we want the change, we wanna wanna see these big things happen but no one really wants to do the hard work of, of getting it accomplished. We all want to see peace in our city but are we willing to really make peace in our homes? We all wanna see the gospel proclaimed to the ends of the earth but 
are we really willing to preach the gospel to our neighbors, our coworkers? Wherever we find ourselves, we are meant to be conduits of God's blessing and grace. There's a, an important little observation that I want to point out to you in this scene on the island of Malta. In verse 3, we're told that this viper, it fastens on to Paul's hand. A couple of verses later, it's this same hand that is outstretched and touches the chief uh, father and heals him. Now, I'm not trying to say that there's anything particularly special about Paul's hands. I, I just want us to see that here is Paul, uh, probably a wounded man, who's actually being the one who does the healing. What I want us to see this morning, and we're looking at the, being reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within his people, is that the Spirit enables wounded people to be conduits of healing. The power of the Spirit is put on display when bruised and worn out and wounded people are actually the people that God uses to bring about healing and restoration. In 1988, the Los Angeles Dodgers were in the World Series. And uh, there was a guy on the team, Kurt Gibson. He was kept out of the lineup because he had injuries in both of his legs. Uh, he really couldn't run. He could barely walk. And yet in the ninth inning, the Dodgers were desperate, and they called on Kurt Gibson to come up to bat. He hobbles up to the plate. He looks at a pitch. He hits it, smacks it out of the park. Game-winning home run. And he hobbles around the bases and win, won the game. The, the story kind of runs up against the commonly held idea or the story that to be the MVP for your team, you got to be the healthiest and the strongest, the best. The, Acts, the story of Acts tells us that uh, it really turns this whole idea on its head. It says that we're, we, the people who are of God, who might be a little wounded, a little bruised and beaten up, we can be effective uh, workers of God in the world only because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. This last year has exposed in new ways our need for healing. Uh, we need physical healing from the pandemic. We need uh, social healing from the injustice and harm done in our communities. The last year has either left you feeling wounded or maybe exposing old wounds that haven't healed. And I just want to remind us once again that healing, uh, we together, we're going we're to heal from this collective trauma together only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, the people of God, are going to be able to do the work of God in this world to be able to be a part of the restoring work and healing work only when the Holy Spirit is at work within us. The great surprise of Scripture is that the only person who didn't ever need healing became wounded so that the wounded might become healers in the world. The healer became wounded so that the wounded might become agents of healing too. So how is it that this church of beaten up and bruised, wounded Disciples started a, a movement of the church that was unstoppable. Well, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. How will it be that you and I, Holy Trinity Church, will be a part of the restoring work in this world? Well, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit is at work within us, using wounded people as conduits of healing. Let me move to a second reminder of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. In verses 11 through 16, these verses they, they serve as a bit of a, a bridge between Paul's shipwreck and his final uh, arrival in Rome where he gets to preach in Rome. Here we're told that the boat that, you know, they stayed on the island of Malta for a number of months, but then they got on a boat, 
they finally docked at a port a few, about 100 miles south of Rome. And so Paul's last part of the journey to Rome was going to be on foot. And when Paul was beginning this, this journey to Rome on foot, the word about his arrival must have arrived in Rome ahead of him. And so some of the brothers, some of the Christians, they came out to join him, to greet him. Some of them came as far as the form of Appius, then even more joined when they, at the place of three taverns. They became this greeting party for Paul as he entered into Rome. I believe that this crowd of this welcoming party probably gave Paul the energy he needed to finish the journey. What's interesting, or what, what I want to remind us with this little detail that we're given in verses 11 through 16, is that there were Christians living in Rome well before Paul arrived. Paul actually wrote the letter to the Romans probably while he was in Corinth, and uh, it's likely that the Christians uh, found their way to Rome because of the persecution that started in and around Jerusalem, and they were scattered all over, some arriving in Rome. The reminder, I think, for us is that the church is not always spread through organized initiatives. It's not as if Paul was the first Christian in Rome and he planted a church and that church in the first five years said, we're going to plant 10 churches. And then that perfectly, you know, happened according to plan and it just multiplication happened uh, in an orderly, time, timely way. No, the church grows uh, in the mysterious ways of the spirit. The book of Proverbs says that we can make plans, but God determines our steps. There's nothing wrong with making plans, nothing wrong with us at Holy Trinity Church saying, Lord, we, we want to be used by you to accomplish certain things in the city. But the church must remember that it's not through enough planning, enough funding, enough buildings, enough people or leaders or volunteers that we will accomplish the work of God. No, no, we must and always must be dependent on the Spirit. This group of Christians uh, who come to meet Paul, they're not given a name. I think that's really interesting. They're, we're simply told that they were this, this group of, of ordinary brothers, ordinary followers of Jesus who come out. And when Paul sees them, his joy, it overflows. Verse 15 says that upon seeing them, he thanked God and took courage. I don't know if uh, you have anyone in your life that just simply seeing them, it brings you this confidence and this courage. Uh, for Paul, this, this meeting was long in the making. If you read the beginning of Romans, the letter to the, the church in Rome, Paul writes with such affection. He, can't, he longs to see them. He says, I can't wait to be with you and to encourage you and for you to encourage me. And, and finally, Paul gets a glimpse of them. Not, he's not even in Rome yet. They're still a long way away. And, and yet this joy overflows in him. These ordinary, nameless Christians become a source of extraordinary, extraordinary encouragement. The last, you know, 18 months, the pandemic, I think it's caused us all to, to appreciate again the ability to be in person with one another, to physically be with one another. And, and Paul, he gets the opportunity to finally be in person with the people, the followers of Jesus in Rome. A few moments ago, I said that verses 11 through 16, they're a bit of a, a, bit of a transitionary part, a text. It's a bit of a travel log between two pretty big, significant events. It can be easy sometimes to think that the Spirit only works in the big moments of life, in the, in the big moments like surviving a shipwreck or getting to preach in the city that you so long to be in. Alfred Hitchcock once said that movies are life with all the boring bits cut out. And it's easy for us to think that that's, those are the important moments of life. That's when the Spirit really shows up and is at work within us. 
Don't confine the spirit to those big moments. The pervasive presence of the spirit means that ordinary activities, ordinary people can have extraordinary significance. The presence of these Christians coming to Paul, they become this conduit, this source of encouragement for Paul so that he could finish the race. And they're not given a name. They're not, they're not known, but yet they are incredible. And they bring Paul the encouragement he needed to finish this journey. You don't have to be a Tim Keller, a Billy Graham, uh, to make an impact. No, the Spirit has a way of using anonymous, nameless, ordinary people who faithfully follow Jesus. We might actually find that we become more effective, more useful in the work of God when we stop trying to make a name for ourselves and begin to be more focused on making the name of Jesus known. It's these nameless Christians who help Paul finish. And I think it's easy for us sometimes to think of Paul as this pioneer, this rogue missionary. But we would be mistaken because Paul would not have accomplished half of what he did if it wasn't for the the fellowship he had with other believers and more importantly, the fellowship he had with the Holy Spirit. I think there's a commonly held idea today that if we're going to make an impact in the world, that we have to be some, we have to embrace this rogue individualism, this idea that we have to be a pioneer like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. That's not the story of Acts. The church is made up of, of ordinary people, nameless people at times. And yet it's, it's, these are the people that God uses to do incredible things. The people of God can only do the work of God when we have the Spirit of God. I can summarize again what what I've said so far is that the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the people uh, of God can be seen when wounded people become conduits of healing, when nameless, ordinary Christians become sources of extraordinary encouragement. And I just want to give you one last reminder of the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us. It's seen when people who have no real platform become the ones who proclaim the gospel hope. Paul arrives in Rome, uh, takes a few days to recover from his journey, but then he gets to the work that he had so longed to do, preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Look here at uh, verse 17 with me. This is what happens. After three days, he called together the local, local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Holy Trinity Church, Paul, he arrives in Rome, and he has this opportunity to speak with the leaders of the Jewish community. But he arrives in Rome, not as a celebrity. He doesn't arrive in Rome as a guest of Caesar. He doesn't arrive in Rome as one representing a great institution. No, he comes as a prisoner. And he comes, and he he begins to proclaim uh, the truth, the hope that he has, the hope of Israel. He says, this is the reason why I am in chains. The Jewish leaders who came to hear from him, they had no real reason to pay him any attention. Yet, we're told that, well, they they think that they don't really know much about Paul, but they've heard about this sect, this 
group called The Way, Christians, these people, these crazy people who believe that Jesus had been risen from the dead, and they want to hear more about it because they've only heard poor things spoken about this group, and, and so they want to hear from Paul. So look at how Paul takes, uh, takes advantage of this opportunity. Verse 23 says that when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at the lodging in great numbers, and from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to them the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus in both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. There's this great little uh, parallel between the end of the book of Acts and the end of the gospel of Luke. This end of the gospel of Luke, uh, we're told this story about Jesus, uh, the risen Lord, walking on the road to Emmaus and overhearing some fellow travelers talk about all the events that had taken place, how, how the, the Jewish leaders had arrested Jesus and how the Romans had crucified him on the cross. Jesus turned to these fellow travelers and he asked them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There's this similarity in the language, a mirroring of Acts 28 in Luke 24. What we see Jesus doing at the end of his earthly ministry, we see Paul doing at the end uh, of Acts, and it's what we are called to do. To show the world the hope that is found in scripture, how all of scripture points to Christ, our Savior. The same scriptures that Jesus used are the same scriptures that Paul used, and they're the same scriptures that we have at our disposal. I think this text is actually a great uh, affirmation of the practice of reading the Bible one-to-one. That if you want to help someone see the the hope that you have or help to show someone uh, who Jesus is, there's nowhere better to turn than to open up the scriptures with them. I think for us here, as we come to the close of this time, I, I just want us to see that Paul... Paul's message, uh, he was faithful to proclaim it, and yet it was, it was received with mixed results. Some believed and others disbelieved. What caused the crowd to really get riled up and to end, end up believing was what Paul said when he began to quote Isaiah 6. Paul says that the Holy Spirit was right when he spoke to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah. A quick aside, I think this is a really important little observation to make. Paul is here equating the Holy Spirit we're the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God of Israel. He's saying the Holy Spirit was right when he spoke to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah. And this is what Isaiah, the prophet, this was his call to ministry. This is what he was called to proclaim. This is verse 26 of our passage. It says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their, uh, their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Paul then said, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. I want to make two quick observations about the, this quote from Isaiah. First is that these are the final words that Luke records from the Apostle Paul. These are the final words we have from, from Paul proclaimed here in Rome. And what we have him saying is, is that Paul is proclaiming this message of the, the hope of Israel. What we have here is him proclaiming the story of, of God calling Isaiah 
to be his mouthpiece in the world. And now Paul is following in that same line and and being the mouthpiece of God in the world. And so Acts concludes kind of with a question, an unstated question to the reader. Will we join in this lineage of, of prophets and apostles who are God's mouthpiece in the world to herald the hope of the gospel? The second observation I want to make is that this final quote, it, it serves as a reminder that the gospel message that we proclaim is a gospel message for everyone. It is to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, as Acts 1.8 tells us. It is a gospel message not only reserved for a few, but it's a gospel for all of us. Acts seemingly ends on this positive note. Paul, although he's in custody in Rome, has this faithful ministry where he is able to proclaim the gospel without hindrance, we're told. He speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And what I find remarkable about this is that Paul had an effective and faithful ministry even though he was in house arrest. The Spirit can use those who have no real formal platform, no social media following, no title, uh, no stage to stand on, It's those are the people that God uses to be the ones who proclaim this gospel hope. It's not not seeking power that we will be able to be faithful at the work of God. It's not by being a rogue pioneer that we're going to be able to find ourselves making an impact in the world. It's not by seeking platforms that we are going to be effective at doing God's word. No, the work of God. No, the people of God can do the work of God only when we have the spirit of God. There's nothing more essential to the mission of the church than the Spirit of God. It helps us, helps us to become the people that God wants us to be. It helps us move from being wounded to being actual people who help restore things in the world. Moving from being anonymous of people, we become actual conduits, sources of great encouragement. People who have no platform, we become the proclaimers of the gospel. But I just want to finish with this reminder as we come to the close of the book of Acts, this great story of the work of the Holy Spirit amongst the people of God. Yes, the Spirit allows us to do incredible things, and we are invited into the incredible work that God is doing in the world. And yet I just want to remind us that the greatest work of the Holy Spirit in us isn't that, isn't that it helps us to do things, that helps us to earn some kind of affection from the Lord? No, what makes the church lovely is the work of what Christ did on the cross. And so everything Christ did on the cross, earning our salvation, our redemption, our justification, the Holy Spirit now applies to us. And so the Holy Spirit amongst us, it, that's what makes us lovely to the Lord. And so don't be mistaken into believing that the way that to become lovely in the, eye, in the eyes of the Lord is by being able to accomplish great things. No, it's what Christ did on the cross. And it's what the Spirit now applies to us in our lives today. So Holy Trinity Church, might we be a church that, yes, is a, a place of stability, a place of uh, beautiful diversity, a place that proclaims the hope, but might we be a people that is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving Father, we pray again that your Holy Spirit would fill us. Father, I pray that because of our time in the book of Acts, we we will not be the same church, Lord. I pray that our dependence upon you, Lord, our trust in the power of the Spirit, Lord, it, it might be strengthened as we leave here today. And Father, might we rest secured in the work of Christ and the knowledge that the Spirit applies all of the great things accomplished to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.